Hello and welcome to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator, Simon Good. In today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be talking about the topic of how to be less judgmental. I suppose there's two ends to this and there's two reasons why I wanted to talk about this particular topic. In terms of the being judgmental, of course, we could do this externally. We judge events, we judge people that we're dealing with. I particularly want to focus today on judging people's intentions behind their behavior and what this would mean then in terms of our ability to resolve conflict with them, to demonstrate empathy, even our ability to figure out how to influence them if our goal is to stop them from doing something, for example. So there's that external facing type of judgmentalness. <laughs> there's also an internal facing one though. A lot of us are incredibly critical and judgmental of ourselves. It's something that I personally really struggle with a lot. I beat myself up about any, like recording a podcast, for example. And then when I listen back and there's a particular word I've misspoken on, or, you know, I just ended up rambling about something at some stage. I just beat myself up about that. And if interestingly, if I really zoom in on what the language is, it's, it is critical. It's, you know, you should have paid more attention to this or what the heck will people think when they receive this? Um, other people seem capable of this. What the heck is wrong with you? And so there's this internal type of judgmentalism that we can do as well. Judge, judging, judgmentalism. <laughs> I suppose that's an interesting one in itself. Like, what would we actually call this? I suppose to some extent it's jumping to conclusions or making a, a more simple meaning about something than we ought to. And so I'll talk next about how come we're wired to do this, what happens in our brain and what this means then in terms of our thoughts and our feelings. I'll also talk about some strategies for reducing it. If you have a goal of decreasing the amount of judging that you're doing, I'll talk about some strategies that have worked for me as well as what a little bit of the research says about this as well. Uh, I just wanted to mention though that the other connected topic to this, so I mean there we, we have, I guess there's obvious goals you might have. You'd like to be closer to the people around you or be able to influence someone and not get stuck in a long drawn out conflict. You can maybe more quickly get to the, this is what I need from you, is that something you can do moment in the conversation. So, you know, it makes communication more effective if you can avoid judgment. Of course, it improves your self-esteem and your own self-efficacy if you can stop beating yourself up and overly focusing on negative. But what happens when we stop being judgmental is that we tend to do less comparison and less criticism. If I'm just observing something in a more neutral way, I'm more curious. It's like, okay, they've done that. You know, there's a number of different reasons why they may have done that. It could be this or this or this or this. Is it important for me to figure it out or not? If so, maybe I'll go up and talk to them about, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? What happens when we judge is that we prematurely reach a conclusion about something, why the other person's done what they've done. And it might be that we interpret that as something they shouldn't have done. And then criticism is the natural reaction that follows. They shouldn't have done that. You know, that's bad. They're wrong. They need this consequence as a result. The flip side to this is comparison. If we see someone doing something good, something notable, achieving something, we often make a different kind of judgment. It's more about that's not the kind of thing that I could ever do or something about them as a person. They must be super um, motivated or have incredible inhuman levels of self-control or whatever kind of judgments that we reach. And I think at the heart of that comparison and criticism is 
It's like this force that robs us of joy, it robs us of bliss, it robs us of peace, it robs us of feeling more content. And so for me, it's not such a small thing if I want to be less judgmental because my son might get ready quicker in the school, in the mornings for school. It's also about my own, I guess, to some extent, ability to stay balanced, given the different challenges that I'm going through at whatever moment in time I'm talking about. And what that means is that I'm more calm and things affect me less because I'm judging them less. I'm criticizing and comparing myself less. I feel a little bit more stable, a little bit more balanced. As a result, I have more resources. My brain wants to work efficiently. And if I can feel like I'm actually navigating at the moment, giving the exact amount of resources needed, there's an incredible amount of peace that comes with that. Whereas criticism and critique, the implication there is that things are not how they should be. Something should be different. And therefore we feel more uncomfortable about that. We're wired not to be able to just let that sit. We're wired to be motivated for action. And that's underneath at the heart of it, some of the reason why we tend to be so judgmental as people. I've really enjoyed recently learning a little bit about the work of Lisa Feldman Barrett. Um, I've, I've ordered a few of her books and I've been spending the last few days watching different interviews and stuff that she's done. And her idea of the brain is really interesting. I studied psychology myself and I'm familiar with other authors like Dan Siegel, for example. And that early type of research often talked about the three sections of the brain, the top bit, the rational bit, the middle bit, which is the limbic system, kind of the emotional bit, for want of a better word. And the bottom bit is like the automatic functions part of the brain, regulating our heart rate, breathing, that type of thing. That bottom bit of the brain has been labelled as the reptilian brain, the middle bit, sometimes it's called the mammalian brain, similar to what other mammals would have. And then the top bit is the uniquely human section of our brain, the, the foldy bit, if you think about the human brain, if you've ever seen a picture. There's a higher concentration of neurons there. It's the bit that typically is engaged when we're doing higher level thinking, like evaluating options, coming up with a plan, finding the right words to manage a difficult conversation, for example. So that was how I was taught. And for a long time, a lot of the organizations I've worked in, we've sort of used this as the dominant way of thinking about the brain, I suppose. And then as a result, we talk about things like amygdala hijack, like those lower sections of the brain are really closely connected to the senses. So they can jump in and trigger a fight or flight type of response before the rational bit of our brain gets a look in. What Dr. Barrett talks about it is a different way of thinking about all of this because as she's started to test some of these hypotheses in, their re in her lab in research, it hasn't actually played out the way that people expected that it would. And for me, this has been a real milestone, like a grinding of my thinking personally, because I almost need to then reimagine how I think about the world. What she's finding is that our brains and our thinking and feeling tend to operate quite a bit differently than previously thought. I'll have a go at explaining it, but I would really recommend watching a YouTube video if you Google Lisa Feldman Barrett, um, the brain, something like that. There'll be endless different resources that pop up. Her website actually is incredibly good, and I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes of this episode in Spotify and the other. The, depending on where you're listening, you should be able to get access to those show notes. Um, so she talks about the brain basically as being a, a signal processor. If you think about the different senses that we have, you know, sight, sense, hearing, etc., 
The brain is effectively sitting inside this black box inside our head, and the only information that it has access to it is what's coming in through our senses. And so the brain constantly needs to be guessing about what's going on, whether or not we're safe, whether or not we should stay, what we're doing, or change, move, do something else, whether or not the people around us are good for us, or whether we should be motivated to change our environment, our state of hunger, like right down to the basic level of that type of stuff. How tired are we? Which parts of our body are sore or hurting? Is this an uncomfortable temperature to be in? Am I going to dehydrate if I go and do something physical right now? So our brain is guessing about all of this stuff about what's going on for us and trying to figure out what we're Want what's important to us and whether or not we're safe. And so it tends to come up with these broad goals like avoiding threats, for example, or pursuing a reward, a delicious food. It's good for us. It gives us energy in our body. That's important for survival. So those berries tend to taste really nice and we feel hungry, which motivates us to go and pick some berries. So our brain is always trying to figure out what we need. We need food and then motivating us for action. And at any moment in time, what Dr. Barrett says is that our brain is basically coming up with a plan of what we should do next. And the only information that it has access to is that information that's coming in through our senses or internally, like what it can pick up on through neurons in our stomach, for example, or our heart rate or pain receptors in our body, that kind of thing. That there's hormonal and electrical ways that it sends this information back and forth. But more or less, the brain is constantly working with the body. There's not this separation that might have historically been assumed, especially in, what would you call it, popular psychology, like Time magazine type of stuff, rather than the more empirical research end of things. Um, You know, the brain and the body separation, well, it turns out that they are inherently united and function together. And so what happens at any moment in time is that our brain looks at what's going on at the moment with our body and it makes its best guess based on everything that's happened until now, (laughs) everything that we've learned, everything that we've been taught from our parents about what's right and wrong and good and bad and safe and unsafe. Someone's yelling at me, well, I'm going to have a reaction to that based on how my parents probably reacted to yelling as an incredibly early child uh, and then how I've learnt through the years. This is called conditioning some, again, that popular psychology might call this programming. It's just basically how we learn what's important and what to operate and what we should do and what we should think and what we should feel in particular moments. Like standing up and doing a a presentation in front of my peers at work, I feel really uncomfortable about that uh, because my brain is making a guess about what's going on and what it sees is heart rate increasing rapidly, lots of people around watching you. So there's this sort of hypervigilance around, you know, standing out and being the odd one out and what might be going on here. I mean, think about back to if we were living in a caveman type of society and everyone in the tribe was staring at you. That's probably not a great moment unless you've just been made the new chief or something. They've probably just busted you for stealing food and they found your stash under your, your... mattress made of twigs or whatever it is that we're talking about here. But standing out in a crowd hasn't been typically good for survival. And so we're programmed just through our genetics to be hyper-conscious about this. And then we go through school and, you know, you called out and get in trouble in class and you're made to stand up. Um, of course, we're, we learn this. Some of us don't. Some of us don't mind standing up and giving a presentation because well, we haven't picked up on the same lessons They haven't resonated or we haven't received them as often. Other of us are more sensitive to this type of thing. 
So in any particular moment, our brain is making a guess about what's going on, but it has a problem on its hands, which is that it's got too much information to process. Just what you can see at the moment in the room that you're sitting in, if you were to describe every little level of detail, like there's a lamp and there's this particular texture on the top bit, and I can see the way that the shadow gradually moves from bright over to the the bit that's away from the window and the base section, it's approximately 30 centimetres long and it's shaped like a cylinder. I mean, there's no way that we could go down to that level of detail in everything that we need to do. So our brain quickly makes summaries. We sort of have this set of schemas that we use, a, a pattern that we recognize. And our brain is really good at recognizing patterns. That's a face. This is someone who's going to attack me. This is someone that's relatively safe. And we make these snap judgments, these split second decisions our brain does about what we need to do here. We see someone walking towards us with their hand outstretched. We quickly realize that they're trying to greet us and shake their hand. And so we're not just looking at that person in front of us. Our brain is looking at all of that information that it's had access to right now historically, which means that a lot of the time it might get it wrong. The person walking towards me with their hand outstretched, well, if it's late at night and I'm walking back to my car, they might be trying to mug me. If it's in the middle of the day and I'm exiting a sports game and they've got a smile on their face, then they're probably someone I went to school with and they want to say hello. So our brain looks at this little bit of information, the person outstretching their hand, and it makes a judgment around uh, like all of the other information that it has access to in the moment. So we go from a very fine level of detail, like their hand is outstretched, to a little bit higher, it's a person, they appear friendly, to a little bit higher, this is a situation where I'm in a country where people don't usually attack each other, it's unlikely at this time of day there's other people around, to a little bit higher, which is like this is a good thing, I feel good about this. So if we think about a judgment and what it is, like, you know, this person's nice or this person's a jerk, all that I'm really doing is discarding some of that lower level information and jumping straight to that top level where I've got less options to choose from. Good, bad, right, wrong, threat, not threat, safe, not safe. And so we need to understand that this is the process that our brain uses to make a judgment if we're going to open up the possibility of not doing it as often. And so this can give us a lot of helpful cues cues and clues then about the types of methods that would be useful for reducing the frequency, like how often you judge people, for example, or judge situations, or how long you sit with it. Maybe there's an opportunity to realize that your brain has just made a judgment and almost ask for a second opinion. So the first method that we can use to be less judgmental is simply to be aware of that process that's happening in you and in the other person that you're dealing with. If we think about a situation where you're talking to a, your boss at work, if there's conflict or one of your team, if there's a difficult relationship that you're managing or maybe it's a family member, what like people tend to think about communication in this very simplistic way. I send an information, they hear me, they respond. That's not at all how interpersonal communication happens. There's much more layers, like we encode the message, we choose the words and the tone of voice and how far apart we stand and our facial expressions and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the message that we send, whether it's by phone or email or in person, or we quickly speak or we speak at this volume or we wait a moment before we speak. And then the other person decodes all of that. They make sense of it. And the way that they do that is through this same process that I've talked about. Their brain goes through a... a 
I guess, set of steps involving looking at a fine level of detail and then working its way up to a decision around what they should do, which in a conversation is probably about what they should say next. So their brain is already overly focusing on what they need to say next. The other thing is that the words that you've said, the message that you've given, the tone of voice, etc., that can only go so far. Like some of that will resonate and other parts won't. Some of that will be received accurately and other parts won't. Some of it will be interpreted the way that you hoped it would and some of it won't be. Ultimately, perception is in the eye of the perceiver. And whether you're being too harsh or aggressive or judgmental or whatever it is, um, ultimately isn't something that you can control. It still might be that the other person perceives you as being judgmental, even though that wasn't your intention. So if your goal then is to appear less judgmental, what you actually need to do is to name that process. It's to acknowledge it and validate it to some extent. So if you've just said something and potentially you get a sense that it might have come across as overly harsh, or at least that's the way that they've interpreted it, I suppose you could say something like, I'm sorry, that probably feels like I'm having a go at you or I'm trying to put pressure on or I'm sorry, I didn't phrase that as well as I should have. You probably felt like I really disagreed with what you've done there. That's not the case at all. I mean, I might very well have done exactly the same thing in your situation. Can you walk me through what you were thinking at the time and you know, what would you do differently next time around? So we just say that probably sounded judgmental. That probably came across as a bit critical. This probably feels a little bit whatever. And in that way, we put it on the table and acknowledge that impact that unfortunately we may have had. And it's almost a way of resetting to stop then this negative spiral from developing where the other person starts to become quite understandably defensive. And then we start to push our opinion more and more. And before you know it, you're in a bit of a debate. The second tool that we can use to be less judgmental is simply to engage in curiosity. When we're dealing with someone else, obviously this will be about asking questions. Um, sorry, can you just fill me in a little bit on more on that? Could you, could you explain a little bit more about that? Could you give me a bit more detail? Uh, sorry, it sounded like you were hoping for this. Is that correct? Or is there something else going on? It seems like maybe this is what you had in mind. Have I got that right? Um, it sounds like, you, you know, you really wanted to whatever, get to this outcome, hurt them, show that they couldn't walk all over you, you know, make sure that they understood that you were serious. So we do our best to sort of either guess and say, it sounds like this is what's going on. Have I got that right? Or ask them, can you fill me in on what you're thinking here? Or what were you thinking at the time? Or looking back on all of that, what do you make of it now? And what we're doing is giving them the opportunity to clarify. Maybe they've said something that they really shouldn't have done. But what I don't want is to jump to a judgment about the fact that, you know, they need a punishment. I can still have that option, but I can almost just postpone it. I'm going to postpone making that decision. I'll use discernment in the meantime, but what I really need right now is more information. And so I might say something like, okay, look, I'm, you know, I'm still doing, I'm still processing that, or I'm still trying to get my head around that. Um, could you let me know a little bit more about what happened before that? Or, you know, it sounds like it wasn't just the two of you there. What else was going on there? Or what do you think needs to happen now? Or looking back on that, what do you make of it? Because they might be very remorseful. They might say, I oh, know I shouldn't have done it. I should have been more careful. And then we can talk about steps to prevent this from happening next time, or maybe they do need to fix the problem that they've caused. I mean, we can engage in that very productively and effectively if we haven't made the mistake of jumping to that judgmental critical place of you shouldn't have done that. And then they get stuck more and more in that type of defensiveness. 
So really engaging curiosity with other people works well. We can also do the same thing for ourselves. Say we're going for a job interview and our stomach's gurgling and we're not feeling confident. We think we don't really have much of a chance here. Well, me judging the fact that they come out and look me up and down and sort of look a bit like, why am I wasting my time here? I don't want to judge what their facial expression meant. And so what I need to do is to go down to that lower level of detail. So I've probably made a decision. My brain is jumping to this conclusion around threat, threat, not safe, not safe. This sucks. Get out of here. This, this is exactly what happens when you come for these types of job interviews. I knew this was a mistake. So I can go back and focus on a finer level of detail. That could just be mindfulness, like wiggling my toes and feeling my socks in my shoes. That gives my brain something else to focus on and forces it not to jump to this very black and white way of interpreting the current situation. But for the thing that's triggering me or affecting me or pushing my buttons, I can also be curious about that. What was it about that facial expression that causes me to feel this way? What else might that have meant? What's going to be the most helpful way of me responding, if, even if that is true? And what I'm trying to do is kind of expand the way that I'm looking at this situation to add a finer level of detail. Dr. Barrett calls this emotional granularization, not just going with the surface level of feeling or the surface level of thinking even. It's thinking about well, what does this really mean and what would be the most productive way of responding. A similar and somewhat related strategy I, we can use, I suppose, is to check the facts um, to, you know, realize that our assumption is based on this and this and this, and maybe there's a way to verify some of that. If there's a coworker and you've noticed they've been a little bit grumpy lately, you're wondering if maybe they're unhappy because they got overlooked for the promotion recently, but I don't want to again, jump to that judgment. So I might decide to talk with them and say, Hey, you don't seem like yourself lately. What's going on? I just want to touch base. You seem like you've had a real weight on your shoulders. I just want to check everything's okay. How are you traveling? Is there anything that's needed, you know, in terms of me, any kind of support that would be helpful right now? I mean, it's none of my business. If you prefer to keep it private, that's completely fine. But yeah, I've just noticed a little bit of a, a difference. You seem a little bit more weighed down than usual. So it's checking the facts. Don't assume that it's all about you. They might say, yes, you know, my dad's in hospital at the moment, or my kid's been going through this particular challenge. And then again, you can deal with it. You could say, look, I suppose on my end, what's really important is making sure that the clients have this experience. So can you please make sure that you at least write them a reply that day, even if you're not able to get back to them in more depth, whatever it is, like you can go through the productive problem solving type of stuff, but that's going to be so much more effective if you've avoided making a judgment about the other person's intentions and the reason why they're acting the way that they are. As a final step, one thing that often works is just to put off making a call, put off making a decision. I use this myself a lot and I, it's almost like giving your, yourself permission to process it. I might say something like, yeah, no, you know, it does seem like that was pretty unfair. And yes, it, it does seem like this is the kind of situation where I'm going to need to give them a call and talk about it. But right now I don't need to do anything. You know, they're not here. They're not watching me. I'd prefer to watch my show or go and hang out with my kid or talk to my wife or whatever, go for a walk with the dog. Um, so right now I'm just not going to make any decisions. I'm just going to let my mind sit with it and see how that sort of changes over time. 
In the meantime, what is usually helpful is calming myself down physically or finding something more productive or positive to focus on. And interestingly, the judgment that we make in the moment, like, I'm going to talk to that person tomorrow, they can't do this to me. And then we storm out of the office and we drive home and we just give ourselves a little space to process it. What often happens is that we start to feel far less intensely about it than that initial judgment that we might have jumped to. Draft the email, but don't press send. Write some notes, but just burn them or throw them in the bin or whatever. Make a voice recording, talk to yourself in the car. Find a way to process it. But the important part in the short term is just putting off that decision. You don't need to talk to them. You don't need to respond. If it's in person, maybe saying something like, look, actually, to be frank, I wasn't aware of that. I'm still trying to get my head around it. I, I probably need a little bit of a chance to process if that's okay. Would it be all right if we circle back to this tomorrow morning and maybe you've got some other information to share as well? Anyway, I'd be happy to talk it through. Maybe we could have a coffee. What do you think? It's this way of saying, look, yeah, I get it. I understand. Uh, Right now, I'm not even sure how I could respond. Um, I'm I'm not sure what to say. I really appreciate you telling me and I've taken it on board. I'd like a chance maybe to reflect and give it some thought. Would that be all right with you? The key here, though, is that the other person often needs a chance to have their say. But yeah, if there is an option to put off the judgment, even in making a call, like I often say to my son, you know, I said yesterday, mate, I found the the Nintendo in the toilet. We've talked about that before. That's not something that's okay. Yeah, dad, I'm sorry. I'm like, that's okay, mate. Look, I know it's tricky. I appreciate how how fun it is playing it. Um, there'll need to be some type of consequence, but could I give it some thought? Even he's cool with that. And I really like that strategy myself as a parent, because as a person that's prone to being a bit judgmental, I lose it. I go over the top. I, all right, it's going away for a week or something. And then it's World War Three, and I didn't actually think through the consequences of this week. And now I'm stuck in a dilemma because he'll know that if I back down that I don't really mean it when I say it's going home. But then we've got this holiday away and I wanted him to be able to use his, his Nintendo and his friends coming over and they've got a, you know, just putting off making that decision helps me to avoid all of those different headaches. And I wonder if there are different situations where if you were less judgmental, at least in the short term, that you might have actually found that you were able to get to a much better outcome in a relationship or it would have meant a whole lot less stress for you. So thank you so much for listening. I I really appreciate it. And I hope that that has been helpful for you. If you'd like to learn more about me, there's different resources or my training workshops. You can check out simongood.com, S-I-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-E.com. I'm working at the moment on some self-directed training courses on topics like assertiveness or de-escalation skills, managing difficult conversations at work, coaching skills for leaders. If there's particular topics that resonate with you and you would like access to some of those, please let me know because what I'll do is make a lot of that content freely available on the podcast and then there's sort of the paid version of the course if you'd like and there you'll have templates and cheat sheets and different case studies and that types of thing as well. But I'd love to know what would be useful for you because that helps me to really focus on the most relevant areas. I think this first set of courses will be specific to workplace conflict talking about either dealing with clients, but particularly I think dealing with staff. And then I I might think about other options. I know there's a lot of people who struggle with topics like, or situations I should say, like um, children who are adults, you know, adult children in conflict with their parents. 
and family cutoffs and disruptions and grandparent and parent relationships. And also, of course, I've worked as a lot as a divorce and separation mediator, helping people resolve conflict around their parenting or property and financial settlement. And so I've, I've sort of, I've got a number of different options then. And I'd really like to hear from you around which of those would be most useful, if any, maybe you're not used not interested in it at all that's perfectly fine too but yeah thank you so much for listening and I, I do hope that that's been helpful and all the best resolving your conflict that you're dealing with at the moment bye for now